so today I'm speaking with Sarah Gordon, CEO of the Impact Investing Institute. Welcome to the podcast, Sarah. It's really great to have you with us. Thank you, Natasha. Lovely to be here. Well, first of all, why don't you tell me a bit about the work of the Impact Investing Institute? So we were set up, we launched officially in November 2019, so we're just over a year old. And we were set up from um, the uh, two former initiatives, both government-backed, which had worked to look at the barriers which stopped people investing with impact. And we were set up really to address those and lower those barriers. Mm-hmm. Um, so our our mission is to, um, sorry, our, our objectives, our aims are to increase the impact investing market, both nationally and internationally, so in the UK and outside the UK, but also to improve its effectiveness and accountability. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's meant we've got some um, sort of work in a lot of different areas, ranging from awareness raising, because one of the um, challenges that people have is sometimes as basic as not understanding what impact investment is. So we spend quite a lot of time engaging with different groups of investors, people, policymakers, explaining that impact investment is investment which delivers a positive, measurable social and environmental benefit alongside a financial return. Mm-hmm. Um, and a whole range of education activities we do around that, also research and evidence building, and then policy and advocacy. Mm-hmm. So nearly a year on or a year on, what have what have some of the biggest kind of notable um changes been that you've seen in the industry or or perhaps there were things that surprised you it's been a roller coaster hasn't it I think for for everybody but we've been incredibly busy I think that one of the um I mean it's it's dreadful to say that something um positive has come out of what has been such an incredibly challenging and for many people tragic uh year but there has been there is added momentum to our work i think there is a real recognition that um the the need to address both the climate crisis but also the need for social renewal the need for good jobs um for access to affordable housing decent healthcare all of these things which are um issues that we focus on are have been um emphasized and indeed um accelerated by the crisis mm-hmm. um we've seen record inflows into um, ESG funds which I think demonstrates that there is what we knew was there already but which is the the growing public appetite for um, investments which deliver benefits for people and planet Mm. Um, and that and that really has given um, sort of added momentum to our work I mean specifically what we've been doing over the last year um, is really trying to take advantage of that momentum in a number of in a number of ways. One of the things we've been working on is a uh, a proposal for a green plus um, sovereign bond in the UK, a green plus gilt, and that's really um, making the point that w- we believe that you, when you're thinking about the transition to a net zero carbon economy, you also really need to be thinking about the social. Um, dimensions to that both mitigating the negative social consequences but also taking advantage of the big opportunities the economic and social opportunities that that transition brings particularly around green skills around infrastructure around um, community and social renewal 
Um, so we worked on a proposal with two sister organisations, the um, Green Finance Institute and the Grantham Research Institute at the LSE, and presented our proposal to government with the support of um, investors representing over £10 trillion in assets, and also with the support of, an, of a number of influ influential business organisations and also voices such as the, the Lord Mayor, William Russell, um, the Environment Agency, Pension Fund, um, and Professor Lord Nicholas Stern, who, as you, your audience will probably know, is, is a long-term um, passionate advocate for um, uh, addressing the climate emergency. So that was um, a, a very sort of constructive engagement process with government, and we were obviously delighted when the Chancellor announced that um, the government would indeed be issuing a green gilt um, next November um, to coincide with the UK's hosting of the Climate Change Conference COP26 mm -hmm. um, and that this would be the first in a series of, of green gilts and the Chancellor spoke um, very specifically about how the proceeds from that would be used to support green jobs across the country and I think it's very important to think about that 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 jobs dimension to all the work that we're doing, because obviously we're about to, unfortunately, go into possibly the worst, one of the worst um, jobs crises um, of, of, for at least this generation. Um, so everything must be about um, helping people into decent and sustainable work. Um, there are sort of number of other areas that we've worked on in the last year. We've just launched um, an online learning hub um, on impact investment uh, which is open source as is all our all the work that we do is freely available to the public um, so our, our learning hub um, has a lot of different resources um, on impact investment from quite uh, sort of sort of basic descriptions of what impact investment is to um, much more complex um, uh, work around how you integrate impact investment into your asset allocation processes um, and investment strategies. With, with the Green Guild, what needs to happen now between now and, and November? How can the industry be preparing? Um, I mean, the industry we know is incredibly, um, there's, there's great appetite for mm -hmm. uh, this the instruments like this. I mean, one of the things that we feel is that there are, whilst there's a, a lot of appetite among clients and among um, individuals and institutional investors for sustainable investment vehicles. There's actually not enough vehicles available, particularly for um, institutional investors who need to invest at scale. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we have a focus at the Impact Investing Institute on mobilising big pools of capital and that has meant a particular focus on pension funds. Now, if you're a big pension fund, you need um, you need investment opportunities at scale. And one of the challenges has been that there haven't been enough impact investment opportunities at scale available. So yeah. the UK government now joining the 16 other other governments which have issued green um, sovereign bonds that's a real it's a, it's a really very concrete way of growing the market mm -hmm. and responding to that appetite of big pools of capital for this type of instrument and I think the other you know one of the um, other important things we feel is that when 
um, for example, Belgium and Ireland issued their green sovereign bonds, you then saw a significant rise in um, green and labelled issuance, bond issuance by local authorities and businesses in Ireland and Belgium. And so it, 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 the government taking this action is a, is a kind of, it's something that then corporates and um, municipalities can then emulate. Um, so I think, you know, you're going to see across this space a big surge in green bonds and in, and in what we would like to see as, you know, green bonds that really take into account, um, as I say, the social co-benefits that come along with the, with the transition to net zero. And a lot of pension funds are already um, have already not just integrated sort of ESG into all their portfolios, but are really thinking very um, actively and constructively about how to incorporate um, specifically impact investment into their statement of investment principles um, and their, their, their um, engagement with their asset managers. And in fact, one of the things that we've done over the last year is to um, one of the concerns that pension scheme trustees have traditionally had is a, a, a feeling or well, a, a myth that a belief that impact investment always means um, conceding financial return mm -hmm. and that because of that impact investment is not um, is not compatible with their fiduciary duty i.e mm -hmm. the, the, the duty that they have to look after clients money in the best way possible and one of the things that we've done over the last year we we have a fantastic pro bono legal panel of 11 um, legal firms that provide to, to our work um, on for free with they have um, developed a, a, a legal we've published a legal paper which explains that in fact impact investment is compatible with um, trustees fiduciary duty and from that paper we've developed a set of good governance principles which we hope will guide conversations at trustee level and indeed with with among the advisors um, who advise pension schemes on their on their investment processes um, and strategies, and I mean we we don't just believe that pension scheme trustees fiduciary duty is compatible with impact investment. We believe that they really should be thinking about the impact because you know we're 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 um, investing particularly with long term investors such as pension funds. You're investing for a long term future. And that future is going to have to be a more sustainable, greener uh, future, because otherwise there isn't going to be much of a future for any of us to retire into. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, one of the things that we've been very involved in at the Institute is, is busting myths. Mm -hmm. And this really this, this myth that impact investment requires you to concede financial to sacrifice financial return is one of the most important myths to bust. Mm. Um, and we've been building a, an evidence base um, around different impact asset classes in the UK and internationally, which really, you know, to demonstrate to investors, look, these are the, this is the type of impact you can deliver alongside a financial return. Mm -hmm. Can you give some examples of um, some of the guidance in that paper? Uh, yes, well, I mean, a, a, apart from the sort of the, the high level um, um, guidance around uh, the compatibility of fiduciary duty and impact investment, uh, one of the things that we think is that um, 
uh, trustees need to engage very proactively with their advisors and their asset managers Mm -hmm. on this. Um, They need to ask their asset managers what the options are. So specifically, you know, if you are an asset manager managing X amount of a pension schemes portfolio, you're not necessarily at the moment, not all asset managers would be offering up sustainable or impact investment options. So they need to know that the appetite is there. And that needs to so that needs to come from the asset owners, i.e. the pension funds, the insurers, others mm-hmm. um, engaging with their asset managers um, and their advisors around this very proactively. Um, we also think that uh, there's I mean, there's a lot of you know, a lot of this, a lot of what's happening in the world of impact investment is it's a mixture of push and pull. Um, you know, there's a lot of client demand, as I was saying earlier, for sustainable investments. But there's also a lot of regulation and policy that's coming down the track Mm -hmm. for asset owners and asset managers that mean they really have to be thinking about how to integrate impact investment and thinking around impact into Mm -hmm. their um, operations Um, and we believe that one of the one of the things that uh, we advise as a as a result of the work around uh, fiduciary duty is to think uh, very for, for trustees to think very carefully about how they can integrate sustainability into their statement of investment principles. So, I mean, the, the good governance principles are are also available um, on our website, um, but we think they provide a very sort of practical guide to the kind of conversations you should be having, not just at trustee board level but also with your managers with your asset managers and with your advisors Mm -hmm. I guess related to the topic of regulation is um, the idea of reporting standards and various frameworks it seems to me one of the major worries um, around at the moment certainly is kind of a developing harmonized reporting standards and, and various frameworks um, as advocates for this, what what would you say needs needs to be done? There's been a lot of. I mean, we were talking earlier about momentum building this year in this in 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 the world of impact investment, and this is, I think, a real example. The re- reporting agenda has really moved on, only just in the last few months, in fact. So um, we know, um, and and I think this is what you're alluding to, that individuals and investors and businesses are struggling at the moment because they've got a sort of panoply of different ways of reporting and measuring mm-hmm. um, their impact. And, you know, these are either sort of proprietary systems that have been developed in-house by investors, by asset managers, but really it's just like, it, it reminds me of the sort of Wild West really before you had harmonised reporting standards for financial performance which of course is a relatively we forget but it's a relatively new phenomenon um you know international financial reporting standards are um you know they're 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 relatively recent and it takes this period of lots of initiative and lots of energy before you then coalesce around a set of agreed global um standards and principles so what's happening um now is that i'm going to just to highlight a couple of really relevant developments in the last few months um You've had a statement of intent by the five, uh, sort of five of the most important and influential global organisations working on sustainability standards. You've had a statement of intent by them to work together 
towards um, a converged set of global sustainability standards. You've also had um, uh, SASBI, um, the Sustainability Account Accounting Standards Board, um, which is going to merge with um, the IRRC, um, which is another sort of a, a sort of institutional development that needs to happen to make um, to make a, a globally harmonised standards work. And then you also have the IFRS Foundation, which is the foundation which oversees international financial reporting standards. It currently has a very thought-provoking consultation paper out on asking the questions, should it, should it set up a sustainability standards board? Um, and if so, what should its remit be? Should it cover, um, where should it start? So internationally, you've got a lot of um, sort of movement and, and developments that I think will lead relatively soon to converged global standards for reporting and measuring impact, which is incredibly important. And then nationally in the UK, you've also got some a, a lot of um, uh, sort of relevant activity. So the um, FRC, the Financial Reporting Council, is also consulting on a on it what it's called what a, a paper which it's called the Future of Corporate Reporting. And one of the things it's proposing in that is to recommend to large listed companies that they must issue what they're calling a public interest report, which would be covering the positive and negative impacts which they have as a business on their wider stakeholders, so the environment, society, suppliers, customers. Um, and we strongly support um, that idea and indeed are hoping to work with a number of um, large listed FTSE 100 companies um, on what that public interest report, that impact report would actually look like. Mm -hmm. And a lot of companies have, you know, a, 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 have made enormous progress and worked incredibly mm. hard on doing their own um, internal, uh, you know, getting getting their own reporting processes in place. I mean, externally, there are very useful resources out there. I mean, we work very closely with the Impact Management Project, uh, which is working to support global convergence, but which, which also has developed a framework um, for companies, businesses, organisations to how to think about their impact and how to report on it. Mm -hmm. um, you also have the um, Global Impact Investing Network, the GIN, which has its own set of metrics. So there is a certain amount of uh, available which really can help um, organisations which are either wanting to start thinking about this or, as is now very often the case, um, help them um, on if you're already in, embarked on that journey. Help make that process, um, you know, more detailed, more sophisticated. What, what do you think will be the key issue or topic in the impact uh, space? I think that this year has really shown us our vulnerabilities as communities, as societies, and indeed as a planet. I think it's made it incredibly apparent that crises can come almost from nowhere and have an absolutely devastating impact on people on and on economies and countries. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, dreadful as that has been, it's been an, a real wake up call, um, particularly around climate and the climate emergency. And, you know, the bottom line is that we 
it, this is not like the climate emergency is not like covid we know that it's coming down the tracks we know that if some very serious um things don't happen um you know by, we are not going to meet our 2030 commitments we're not going to meet our 2050 commitments and as i was saying earlier you know we will be leaving a a a a a, a world a, a natural world but also a you know a world for people and um economies which is not the one that we want to leave for future generations mm -hmm. so i think you know that 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 sense of urgency and um fear frankly that's that's um, been engendered by this the awful events this year um in some ways are going to help um constructive um activity and i think you know one of the amazing things about this year is is seeing how crises you know how people respond to crises and there's been such incredible financial innovation mm -hmm. as a result of this year you know some private and public sector capital working together to design financial vehicles which which address um you know ESG priorities and 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 deliver positive social and environmental impact and i think you're going to see much more of that i mean if there is one thing i think that's going to be clear from next year in particular is that in some ways this year has been about the health emergency um hopefully with widespread vaccination across the globe next year is going to be less about the health emergency but I think it's going to be about a jobs emergency mm -hmm. and you know we are really only just coming up to some of the worst economic impacts of this year's events mm -hmm. and I think that seeing that intricately interlinked dependency of the environment and society of jobs of um as i as i was saying earlier you know access to clean water access to decent healthcare affordable housing seeing that those things are an incredibly important dimension of the way we address the climate emergency is going to be absolutely critical um and i think it's going to be very much very high on on people's agenda i mean you know if you are without a job uh, or your family is um, you know the breadwinner in your family or the two breadwinners in your family um, are no longer earning um, you know we have to think very very carefully about how and, and proactively about how the whole sustainability ESG impact agenda can support people in that situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah I definitely agree with you that the, the kind of the intersections between uh, all these different um, well, in some cases, tragedies, yeah, that, that has become so clear this year and people are looking more at solutions that address a number of things together and how they're interlinked, certainly. And there are there are solutions, you know, the really, you know, the, the, the really um, encouraging thing is that, you know, that a lot of the, the, the investment market is already, you know, the financial services world is thinking like this. You know, there are commercial opportunities um, and and opportunities for the private sector to work to deliver public good to deliver public policy priorities which not only will go towards us creating a much more sustainable and fairer world but will, what will also deliver financial returns to investors you know guaranteeing people's retirement you know helping um, contribute to uh, you know economic renewal um, at a time when it's absolutely imperative that that happens. Mm -hmm. 
yeah, there's the uh, the the financial case, the business case, and the kind of social case are all definitely becoming very clear. Yeah, and I think it's I think it's absolutely, you know, it's very not- notable that the um, that Mark Carney, the former governor of the Bank of England, um, I don't know if you've had an opportunity to listen to the Reith lectures which he delivered. Um, but you know he's talking very much about concepts of value and how we really have to be um, we really have to be conscious that value is not just financial value it is broader than just finance mm-hmm. uh, and that until and you know the, the very fact that you've got a former governor of the Bank of England talking like this and also obviously spearheading the private finance agenda for COP26 next year is to me a really powerful indication of how fast the dialogue around this space has changed. You know, this is not niche. This is central. This is how business and investors have to think about the future. Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely. Well, thank you so much for speaking with us today, Sarah. It's been very insightful. Thank you, Natasha. I've enjoyed it. Great. Soundcloud or iTunes by searching for ESG Out Loud.